Side Hustle Show 320, multiplying money, morning routines, $100,000 side hustles, and more. It's time for another round of 20 questions with Nick. What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because successful people ask better questions and as a result, they get better answers. Hat tip to Tony Robbins for that one. Solo show for you today. It's time for another edition of 20 Questions with Nick, diving into the proverbial listener mailbag to see what kind of goodies we can pull out. I never pretend to have all the answers except for in these episodes when I do my best. And as usual, I've selected 20 of your questions to run through today for your benefit and hopefully listening pleasure. This is the seventh installment of this series. So notes and links are at sidehustlenation.com slash Q&A7. If you have a question, the best place to ask is the free Side Hustle Nation community on Facebook, where you can tap into the wisdom of more than 10,000 fellow side hustlers and entrepreneurs. But beware, you just might be featured on the next round of 20 questions. Sidehustlenation.com slash FB will get you over there. So the first question comes from David. This is actually from the Facebook group. He says, let's say you've got $100. How do you turn it into 200? This is the multiplying money question. And in the group, members had lots of cool suggestions. First was the $100 startup by Chris Gillibo. Next was to buy $100 worth of sunglasses and sell them to spring breakers at a markup, spend $100 on gas, and then hit up the free section on Craigslist for stuff to resell. One interesting one was to buy a dryer vent cleaning kit and then go door to door charging homeowners 80 bucks to clean out their dryer vents. And the other suggestion was to buy a couple website themes from Theme Forest and then go sell them for $1,000 each to local businesses. I'm just tempted to point people to Rob Stevenson, the flea market flipper. He's a professional money multiplier. You heard from him most recently on episode 298. But the truth is, you really don't even need the $100 to get started. Like, Don't let that be a limiting factor. You can go out and sell a service with no startup cost at all. That's question number one. Question number two comes from Camille. He says, what's your number one morning ritual that helps you crushing your goals? So most mornings for me look like this, or I should say a good morning looks like this. Getting up around 6.30, taking the dog out, getting him and the kids fed and off to uh, school and daycare, getting a workout in, and then starting my workday around nine. If that happens three or four days a week, that's outstanding. Now, probably the most important thing for me has been the habit or the most important morning ritual has been that habit of doing at least one of my high priority tasks first thing. That means before email before social media, before anything else. Starting my workday in proactive mode instead of reactive mode really sets the tone for the rest of the day. It makes me feel a lot better about the progress that I'm making. And I know what task I'm supposed to do because I wrote it down the night before in the progress journal, in my case, progressjournal.net, if you want to check it out. Question number three comes from Ashley, who says, I've started a side hustle blog to Remind busy professional women to prioritize self-care so they avoid burnout and overwhelm. And I don't know if I should create a course around this. I don't want to be giving advice if I'm not qualified. I'm not a certified counselor, life coach, etc. And this has worked for me, but doesn't won't necessarily work for others. Self-care looks different to everyone. So she asks, I wonder if you think I should continue with 
the self-care, find a way to make it a course idea, or if I just keep this little blog as a hobby and create another business around something else that I have actually more experience or credentials in. So for Ashley, a couple of things. First, honestly, your your readers and your subscribers would know better than me if that's a course they want to buy, if that self-care course is something that they'd want to buy. But ask them first, ask them to buy before you go through the time and effort and trouble to build that. This comes to mind. On episode 284, Abby Ashley talked about, after a few build it and they'll come failures, she talked about how she pre-sold her virtual assistant training course. And instead of creating the whole thing, she just outlined what it would cover. She made a sales page out of a Google Doc, which like, how's that for a lean startup, and sent it to her audience. And I think she did something like $8,000 from that pre-sale. Now, as far as qualifications, obviously, this is a touchy area. So you want to be upfront about who you are and who you're not. Like, look, I'm not a doctor. This isn't medical advice. This is just something I found effective. And that's what that's meant to me. It doesn't sound like you're going down this path with a more general self-care topic. But if anything is even borderline therapeutic or medicinal, like I would want to have an attorney look over your disclosures just to make sure that you're covered, that you're protected. Question four comes from Faiz, who says, I've had a lot of side hustle ideas and I've tried a ton of different things. My latest attempt is to sell artwork on Etsy, but I'm feeling really demoralized because I've not been able to make even one sale. I've tried everything I can from buying courses to promoting my listings, but no one on Etsy has bought my painting. I know it's a good painting, but I'm stumped. So for Faiz, sorry to hear that you haven't made any sales yet on Etsy. One thing to consider is that Etsy is a search engine, right? So think of the keywords people might be looking for to find your art. Like what other art prints are selling well in your style? For example, I recently bought a world map watercolor. It says adventure awaits up at the top. And I probably found it by starting with an Etsy keyword search, looking for map prints or adventure maps or some keywords like that. Now, regarding feeling demoralized, you're definitely not alone. This is, is, again, if it were easy, everybody would be doing it. But there were some suggestions from the Side Hustle Nation community on what to do if you're feeling demoralized, if you're feeling down. If you Google broke, angry, trapped, you'll actually find that post. I think it's the, the number one result for that very specific series, broke, angry, trapped. Now, one thing that helps me is to take control of small elements. Like when I'm feeling similarly demoralized, how do I be proactive about it? So I'm not sure specifically on Etsy what kind of analytics that you get, but there are a few different scenarios, right? Number one, if if no one is finding your stuff, okay, you've got the marketing problem. Or if you're already optimized and just no one is looking for it, you have a product problem. Or if 10,000 people have seen your painting and no one is buying, you have a conversion problem. So depending on the situation, you can take action accordingly and then make it a habit. So Steve Scott in our mastermind group proposed this, focus on process goals rather than results goals. As in, I'm going to do the work consistently, I'm going to show up, and I'm going to have confidence that the results I want will follow. Because the process part is the part we can control, and that was something that resonated with me so far this year. Question five comes from Maddie. She asks, I'm wondering how hard it is to make a website. Also, do you have any good suggestions for places to learn code? So Maddie, the good news is it's never been easier to make a website. Again, if you Google fastest, cheapest website, you'll find a case study of mine on sidehustlenation.com where 
that break down step-by-step how to get a great-looking site online fast. There are thousands of free themes and templates to work from, and every year it gets easier to manipulate and customize those themes to get something that you love and that works for your business. YouTube, I should say, is also your friend. Remember, if you're stuck on a certain problem, odds are somebody has figured that out. Regarding learning how to code, there are tons of resources, free and paid, that'll teach you every programming language known to man. But my question is, is that the best use of your time? And sure, if you want to be a freelance software engineer or web developer, great. But if you want to start a blog, there's really no need to get down in the weeds like that. Stack Exchange, YouTube, Fiverr, and once you're making money, a service like AccessWP or ZenWP will probably take care of all the coding problems you'll face. That actually leads me to question number six from Michael. He says, I've been listening to your podcasts and a few with Rosemary and other people who run blogs, and it seems like they always have a tech person behind the scenes who implements backups and upgrades and plugins and funnels and stuff like that. So how does one find a tech person to do that kind of ongoing support and implementation at a reasonable rate? So that's, again, a question from Michael. So I know Rosemary and several other bloggers work with Grayson Bell from imarkinteractive.com. You've probably heard him as a FreshBooks testimonial at some of the end of some episodes. So personally, I use ZenWP. It's ZenWP. .co, and a friend of mine, Anthony Tran, runs AccessWP, both of which offer unlimited WordPress support and maintenance jobs for less than $100 a month. They probably won't be building marketing funnels for you, but anything on the technical side, these are services that can take care of those for you. I consider my subscription kind of like website insurance. If anything breaks, if I want to have anything done, it makes sense to just have that kind of person on call and be like, hey, I want to change this, or what happened over here, you got that kind of thing. Question seven comes from Whitney. She says, why don't you use ads to monetize your website? At least I haven't seen any. My answer to Whitney was, I've been trying to stay away from ads on the site, banner ads and stuff like that, in favor of focusing on affiliate offers and building the email list. And so for me, the three monetization pillars right now are your sponsorships on this podcast, affiliate relationships on the SideHustleNation.com website, And then my own side hustle experiments and investments was kind of the three legs of the stool right now without putting ads on the site. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts, and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes. T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. 
When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Question eight comes from... Bo, who explains, in my 15 years in the corporate world, I built a pretty solid personal brand and gained some really valuable skills. I'm a successful and happy guy, and I want to share this with people, teach them how to accelerate their success in work and freelancing in life. But at the moment, I have no social media accounts aside from LinkedIn. I don't know all these platforms. I'm an analog guy. I deleted my Facebook account, but I know that I need to be there in the social media space if I want to start an online business and build an audience. I don't want to have more than two accounts, and I don't want to spend my time managing social media accounts, but I want to do real work instead. So here's the question. If you were to start today from absolute zero, which platform would you pick in first and second place to build your audience and why? I don't want to influence you, but Pinterest seems hot right now, so I want to make sure this must be right for me. But what goes along with it? Instagram, Google+, and good old Facebook. The social media question, right? It really depends on where your audience is. It could be that LinkedIn is enough to start with, especially if you're going after this professional crowd, how to advance your career, how to do better freelancing, right? On the Pinterest side, think of Pinterest as a search engine for content. We just had a really excellent episode on Pinterest with Kate All from Simple Pin Media as episode 318. If you don't have that library of content or if you aren't targeting the types of things that people are looking for on there, don't mess around with it just because it seems hot. And I think the same is true with other platforms like Instagram. Like late last year, April Whitney broke down her really guerrilla hustle tactics that worked to build an audience on Instagram, but her people were already there. It was just a matter of getting in front of them. And that's that's marketing, getting in front of people who need your thing. The best feature on Facebook right now is Facebook groups. For example, the Side Hustle Nation Facebook group is over 10,000 members strong. People are asking and answering questions all the time. And it's become a really cool community. If you can build something like that for, for your tribe with you at the center, I think that could be really beneficial. The only one I can give a hard pass to is Google+. I haven't heard of anybody using that for years. Question nine comes from Arian, who says, do you have any recommendations for a side hustle that could turn into something generating $100,000 a year within about a year or so. I understand this is a very tall order, and he explained why that number was important to him, which is important to ask too. So $100,000 side hustle isn't totally unheard of, but it's definitely rare. If that's the goal, think of something that scales in terms of price or in terms of reach. That could be high-value freelancing or consulting. For example, if you have 10 clients at $1,000 a month each, you've got $120,000 
a year business. And 10 clients seems more attainable than the amorphous, I'm going to build an audience and then and sell them something, right? Like I can find 10 customers. You know, a few episodes come to mind that might have potential to get you there or spark some inspiration to get you there. In episode 295, Chris Schwab talked about his cleaning business, which essentially was him playing matchmaker between professional cleaners and then customers who needed them, kind of creating a regional brand around the ThinkMade's brand in the Washington, D.C. area. I thought that was a really cool example of a business that could get to 100 grand a year. Rene Delgado's dropshipping business didn't quite get to 100 grand in profit his first year, but it was a scalable model. Remember, he was selling giant commercial bounce houses in episode 294. He sold 300 grand worth of those, but then as a dropshipper, he was making 12 to 15% margins, I think he shared. Another model that comes to mind is Nagina Abdullah's high-end weight loss coaching from episode 210. She ran one-on-one coaching for a bit and then transitioned to a group coaching model and was earning consistent $10,000 a month on the side. But could it get there in a year? It's hard to say because it really relies on having a steady stream of traffic, which can take some time to build. So in each of those, the entrepreneurs managed to decouple their time from their earning power. And that's something I think you're going to have to do if you want to get to a part-time $100,000 a year business. In the case of Chris and Renee and Nagina, these businesses were set up to grow beyond them. And I think that's probably what you'll need to do if the direct consulting model doesn't appeal to you or if you don't think you have any part-time $1,000 a month skills. Question 10 comes from Sam, who asks, when you started Side Hustle Nation, did you start it as a website that you drove traffic to, a Facebook page that you drove traffic to, or how did you get the growing engagement from day one? This is going back five and a half years, a little over five and a half years. Side Hustle Nation for me started as a blog and a podcast around the same time, though I redirected an old personal blog to the new SideHustleNation.com domain. I had a little bit of traffic from NickLoper.com, a random personal blog to begin with. So it wasn't starting completely from scratch. Now for the podcast, and I'm pretty embarrassed by the first few episodes now, but what I did to get some initial traction for the podcast was to go through my Gmail, open up a new email composition window and type a letter, like going through the alphabet and literally seeing who popped up in the suggested autofill box. Like, oh, I haven't emailed Aaron in a while. And I went through the alphabet like that, writing these one-on-one emails being like, hey, I just launched this thing. Here's the link to check it out. You don't even have to listen to it, but every download helps. I think we've seen on the show, even last week with Jack Spierko, how other hosts have driven audience engagement from day one far better than I did. As far as the blog, I did a little bit of guest posting. Not really sure how effective that was. Just trying to build relationships with other people in the space. We'll kind of put the site on the map where some of my own case studies and experiments like playing around with Fiverr and self-publishing and some different freelancing gigs. But still, in the first year, the podcast was getting a lot more traction than the blog. So that's where I focused my attention. I definitely would not make driving traffic to a Facebook page a priority. But like I said, I still do like Facebook groups for building a community that takes the content from one to many, like a broadcast content strategy to many to many with you as the hub. And I think that can be pretty cool. Question 11 comes from Nicole. We're past the halfway mark now. She says, I've self-published a short ebook through draft2digital.com. It's a personal memoir. 
I made the cover myself. I kept the price at $2.99 and I could not sell a single copy. I don't have any social media presence. How can I market the book? So Nicole, I feel like this comes up in just about every 20 questions episode, but remember the rule of the internet that people are only ever online to do one of two things. Number one, to solve a problem or number two, to be entertained. A personal memoir book probably falls under the entertainment category, which I think is harder to compete in because you're competing against HBO and Netflix and ESPN. But that's not to say memoirs don't sell because they do. And they sell more if you're famous. So if you're not, it's an even harder sell. So what you have to do is a couple things, traffic and conversion. And this goes for any product you're trying to sell, not just memoirs, not just books. So let's talk traffic first. How are people going to find your product? You've already got it listed on Amazon, which is great. It's a fantastic buy buttons marketplace, but recognize Amazon is a search engine like Etsy, like Google, like Udemy, like iTunes. What keywords are your target customers punching in? Are those keywords in your title, in your description? What other books do your target customers love? With AMS ads, Amazon Marketing Services ads, you can bid to have your book show up directly on those book pages. It's an amazing marketing tool to buy up some real estate on your competitors' pages. You can check out Dave Chesson's free amscourse.com to see how to set this stuff up. But before you do, make sure you're in a position to convert that traffic once it comes in, because there's no sense in spending money to fill a leaky bucket, right? On the conversion side, that's things like your book cover, your description text, your price, your reviews. All of those can influence your conversions once you have somebody on the page. So take a look at what the best sellers in your category are doing and model that. In this case, the book has zero reviews, which is going to make it a tough sell. So I'd work on updating the cover and soliciting some reviews first, and then answering the what's in it for me question in the description, and then work on the traffic side. Question 12 comes from Van in Greece. He says, I'm blogging two to five posts a month. What WordPress template do you suggest going for? So Van, I'm just using the generate press theme, which I like, but the truth is it really doesn't matter. Just pick something you like and run with that. Question 13 comes from Tina. She says, I'm updating my blog and we'll be working on affiliate links, but I've got a question. How do I refer to an affiliate link when I haven't used the product? I don't want to sound fake, but there are some things I'd like to recommend, but haven't purchased. So Tina, I think you could just say that. Look, I haven't tried this myself, but it looks promising. If you're confident it's something will help your audience, maybe you personally don't need it. I think that's totally fine. In my case, for example, if somebody mentions a resource on the podcast, like Matt Rowell said he used this particular knife sharpening kit for his knife sharpening business in episode 308. And so I Amazon affiliate linked that up in the show notes without a second thought of having tested it myself. Another option, this was described by Kieran McRae in episode 313 about his mattress affiliate site, mattress review blog. It was just to synthesize and summarize other reviews from around the web. Because I asked him, like, dude, have you slept on these 100 different mattresses that you've reviewed? No, absolutely not. It would have been a logistical nightmare to try and do that. But here's how I was able to create value and be upfront about that anyways. Question 14 is from Luke, who says, I hear of all these other big bloggers having months of content written in advance. And although I feel like I can write a good few posts, I don't know if I could have months of content all in place. I hope you can help me on a personal level with any tips and strategies. So Luke, you definitely don't need to have a massive 
library of content built out before you launch. With a blog, there are a couple different angles or strategies, or maybe a combination of the two. The first is the personal journey type of blog, where you might share about your path to saving up for your year of travel, and then readers can follow along with your adventures. It's infotainment, and they're really connecting with you as the writer, as the blogger. The second approach is the more problem-solving type of blog, where you write specific articles to answer reader questions or what people might type into Google, like how to save money on your utility bill, how to get free airport parking, the best budget travel insurance, that type of stuff. And maybe there's a balance to strike between the two to weave your personality and your story into the more search engine discoverable content. But I definitely don't have months of content written in advance, so don't feel pressure to do that either. Question 15 comes from Nick. He says, I'm a senior in college involved in some entrepreneurship organizations. I've tried multiple different online ventures over the years. And while I've definitely learned a lot, none of them have really had any substantial monetary gains. I feel like I have the knowledge to be successful, but for whatever reason, the dots just aren't connecting. I also find it tough to wait through all the BS of self-proclaimed gurus and scammers. Overall, I'm just wondering, what would you do if you were in my position and knew that in eight months, you'd be full-fledged in the real world? Well, Nick, first of all, welcome to the real world. And if you're listening to this, you're still in high school, you're still in college, that's real world too. You don't have to wait for some arbitrary finish line like graduation to get started. And my gut reaction for Nick was actually to seek out some sort of internship or apprenticeship with somebody running the type of business that most interested him. And there's an argument for that kind of move made by Taylor Pearson in episode 129. It was called Why You Should Quit Your Side Hustle and Why You Should Get an Apprenticeship Instead. And I know for a while Taylor was running getapprenticeship.com. I'm not sure how active it is now. Dynamitejobs.co might be another source. Now, on the surface, it might seem less entrepreneurial than trying to grind out your own thing, but I think you can end up shortcutting the learning curve by several years. And like you said, the real world is still going to be there. For me, it was an internship with an online shoe retailer that started everything, that set me down this path, and it was working directly with the marketing manager to get my hands dirty in pay-per-click advertising, SEO, affiliate marketing. I definitely would not be here today if it wasn't for that less than entrepreneurial detour. I don't know. What do you guys think for Nick? Let me know in the comments for this episode, sidehustlenation.com slash Q&A7. Question 16 comes from Dan. He says, how was your trip to San Miguel de Allende and Mexico City? I've been wanting to go to both, but my wife is paranoid that it is unsafe and people keep telling her that. Did you feel unsafe in either? Any suggestions? So Dan, Mexico was awesome. We spent a few weeks there in July and we never felt unsafe. Amazing food, friendly people. San Miguel, in particular, tons of tourists and expats. And the neighborhood we stayed at in Mexico City was like the Beverly Hills of the place. It was where every American company had their Central American headquarters. So there's lots of expats there and fancy high rises and stuff. There are definitely sketchy barrios, just as there probably are in every city of 20 million people, but we didn't spend any time there. Of course, please be safe, be smart. I'd hate to have anything happen to you on account of my travel advice. Actually, one conversation kind of put things in perspective for me. I was on a call with this woman from Israel and in kind of a rare xenophobic moment, I said something like, oh, isn't that a scary place to live? And as soon as I said it, I immediately regretted it. 
And she just kind of laughed and said, look out your window, dude. Read the news about all the mass violence in America. Point taken. (laughs) So in any case, we still love travel. We just tend to go a little bit slower these days with the kids. I remember reading this article on Go Curry Cracker where Jeremy was answering reader questions. And the question was like, isn't it hard to travel with kids? And his answer was classic. Yeah, it's a lot like staying home with kids. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. All right, it's the home stretch. Question 17 comes from Mark. He says, I want to start a business. I'm just not sure if I want to risk having less family time to pursue that. Is it possible to have family, job, and a business all at the same time? So Mark, it's kind of like the old adage. You can get it fast, good, or cheap. Pick two. I think there's always a way to balance this stuff in a way that makes sense for your family, but it is a balancing act, especially early on. It's really tough because you don't know if your time invested will pay off. But that's the risk and reward of entrepreneurship. You've probably heard the quote that entrepreneurship is working a few years like others won't to live the rest of your life like others can't. It's one reason I advocate the side hustle too. It's low risk, invest what time you have and ramp it up rather than going all in from day one. But it's something that's been on my mind lately. I know I've said that the kids have made me maybe less productive, but more effective or more efficient because I have less hours to devote to the business. I actually turned around and asked this question to Tamika and Wendy on the House of Phi podcast. And they had some good insights on reframing it. Like how can you use your own business building time as a way to teach your kids entrepreneurship? Like, hey, this might not work out, but here's something that we're going to try and we think it's worthwhile for these reasons. And how can you get them involved in the business, especially if they're a little bit older? So that's one way to, to balance the business and family equation. Question 18 comes from Zach, who I met at a meetup over Christmas in Seattle. He said, did you feel like your goals for the meetup were met? I guess, in part, I'm just curious how meeting with listeners in a setting like today's plays out with what you're doing and how you're doing it. So first of all, Zach, thank you for coming. And thank you to everyone who's come to a Side Hustle Nation meetup over the years. Yeah, absolutely. My goals were met. The conversations this time and every time, are really invaluable for me to hear what the community is up to, what people are working on, what's resonating the most, how they discovered the Side Hustle show, how they discovered the blog. I find I get a ton of energy and ideas from these meetups. And honestly, it's one of my favorite things to do. And building a nationwide, really a global, quote, network has been one of the most rewarding and unexpected benefits of doing the show. When you start out, you're like, well, I'm going to need listeners if this thing is ever going to be a business. But you don't, you don't really think of like, well, those listeners are real people. And it's, it's been, I don't know why it was unexpected, but it's been really rewarding to grow that audience and to grow that network to have people to, to visit and see, you know, pretty much everywhere we go. 
Question 18 comes from Nika. She says, you're giving away the PDF version of the Progress Journal for free. Why is that? So Nika, a couple reasons for that. First was for existing subscribers. I wanted them to be able to see the inside before they bought. And ultimately, I was able to email Amazon author support and have them update the look inside feature to include more of the book. I think it includes the whole thing now. But during the launch, only the first few pages were previewable. So you couldn't see actually any of the journal fill-in-the-blank pages. So in that sense, I was trying to better answer the, is this right for me question for existing subscribers. The second part actually came from a customer request. One of the beta readers was like, this is cool, but I'm trying to go paperless and would love to use this on my tablet. Okay, that was a use case I never really considered. I thought of it as a physical paperback journal, but it was easy enough to send over a digital copy. So I ended up including that in the book as an opt-in bonus in case anyone else wanted to do the same thing. Like, I want to go digital as well. Okay, you can do that for free. Question 19 comes from Bruce, who says, how do you transition your side hustle from an additional personal income into a business for tax purposes, et cetera? I think it'd be helpful to share some information on how to best organize your side hustle financially. So Bruce, I don't know that this needs to be overly complicated. Once you got the business to the point it's earning enough to pay yourself, you can just transfer from your business account to your personal account to pay yourself and pay the bills. For starters, I would definitely recommend getting a business bank account and a business credit card. At the very least, it's going to help you keep your finances separate and just make life easier to have those two separate accounts. If you hit sidehustlenation.com slash business cards, you'll find the best bonus offers on business credit cards. If you want to learn more about credit card rewards and qualifying for business cards, I have a section on that in my free credit card course at freecreditcardcourse.com. So as far as my setup, my setup is as an LLC with an S-Corp election, meaning I'm taxed as an S-Corp at the federal and state level. But I'm not an accountant or an attorney, so what's best for me might not be best for you. We do have a few episodes on legal and tax questions that might be worth a listen if you want to dive deeper into that topic. I will link those up for you in the show notes at sidehustlenation.com slash Q&A7. All right, question 20 comes from Danielle. She says, after listening to your podcast, I brainstormed a few ideas and really latched onto the idea of putting some gigs up on Fiverr. I've got about eight ideas I would like to try out, but to create eight different valuable $5 documents is going to take a little bit of time. And I'm having a hard time knowing how much time I should really dedicate to writing these guides and deciding which guide I would like to write first. So Danielle's going down the path of creating a digital asset to sell on Fiverr rather than a freelancing service. So in this case, where I probably start is with a little keyword analysis and competition analysis. I'd type in your primary topics into Fiverr to see what comes up. If there aren't a million sellers with all five-star ratings, that's probably an area of opportunity. And I would probably cross-reference that with some search volume metrics, which I don't think Fiverr releases, but you could probably approximate with a tool like the free Keywords Everywhere browser extension. This is also the beauty of Fiverr. You can actually create the gig first and set it up so you have a few days to deliver the order, see if anybody orders it, and then if they do, then create the thing. So in that sense, kind of a pre-sales strategy there too. Once again, notes and links for this episode are at sidehustlenation.com slash Q&A7. That's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for all your questions. 
Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show, where you learn how to turn useless knowledge into cash. I'll see you then. Hustle on.